Welcome to another exciting episode of the Alternative Investment Podcast. Listen in as your hosts, Jimmy Atkinson and Andy Hagens, discuss new opportunities in the alts universe. From direct investments to DSTs, opportunity zones, private equity, and more, we cover it all here on the Alternative Investment Podcast. Welcome to the Alternative Investment Podcast. I'm your host, Jimmy Atkinson. And I'm your co-host, Andy Hagens. And today, Andy and I are going to be discussing the opportunity for high net worth investors to access alternative assets located outside of the United States. And joining us today to discuss that very topic are two partners at Legacy Group, Cole Shepard and Adam Jason. They join us from Medellin, Colombia. Gentlemen, welcome to the show. Thank good you. Good to be here. Thank you. Yeah, good to have you guys here. So to start us off, why should a U.S. accredited investor look to alts outside of the U.S.? What's the case for doing that? I'll start it off. So this is Cole Shepard. I think one of the primary things we see with our high net worth investors is really the, the look and the desire to find yields that they can't find in, in U.S. markets. The things that we focus on at Legacy Group, like agricultural investments, obviously we only do alternative investments. A lot of our investors are looking for inflation hedges. In a time when inflation is rating higher than high yield jump bond rates, investors are looking for inflation hedge and yield wherever they can get it. So I think uh, for projects that are located outside of the U.S. that have the potential for higher returns, a ton of high net worth individuals are, are looking for that exposure. I think you're seeing some, some macroeconomic trends that are pushing people outside of what you might consider to be a typical investing comfort zone. I think the investors that we talk to through Legacy Group, all of our guys are, are high net worth investors. They're scared where equity markets are right now, challenging to find good opportunities, and, and especially putting some smart capital where it could actually be a meaningful return for them. Bond markets in the U.S. are not even really an option. We put out an article last week detailing this, but basically 85% of all of the junk bonds, the low investment grade bonds in the U.S. are not even keeping up with inflation. See, commercial real estate yields are basically the lowest extent a considerable amount of time, concerns about, as Cole mentioned, inflation and, and money printing going on in the U.S., where people are saying there's a lot of opportunities, the, the world is a big place, globalization continues, and we're open to looking at opportunities outside the U.S. Perfect. And I want to focus on some of those market trends and macroeconomic trends that you touched upon in a few more minutes. But first, I want to hear a little bit more about the two of you and Legacy Group, what can you tell us about Legacy Group? Who is your team? And also, what is the unique value proposition that you provide to high net worth investors? Sure. So I'll start us off, and Adam will I'm sure add a supplement for me. Adam, Adam and myself started working together in, in 2017, actually. I, we found what is soon to be the largest coffee producer in Colombia. Right now, we're number three. The name of the company is called Green Coffee Company. Adam and I are focused purely on alternative investments. Really, we look at opportunities in Colombia, which we see as a largely underserved market for U.S. investors. 
I we look for companies that have a bridge, kind of to this bridging developing world, which we consider places like Latin America and Colombia and developed world, which we would consider most of our investors are from the US. We'd like to see a you know an end source consumer market for the United States as well. So businesses that focus on developing value, developing markets, and can have an end target client. Uh, an investor in developing or developed markets such as the United States have, have tremendous value. So what we focus on for our high net worth investor audience is really the creation of investment products that, that nobody else has. You can't, for instance, go to Goldman Sachs or KPG as a private equity manager and be able to offer our product. We create unique products for our investors and we're basically the only one that has them. So we're the investment sponsor. We invest a tremendous amount of our own capital in our projects due to the fact that we believe so heavily in them. And we invest very heavily in our own projects alongside of our investors. So what we try to do is really bring unique opportunities to our investors that they can't get elsewhere. And myself and Cole, our partners, the, the two partners for Legacy Group, who both come from professional services background. Really, in the U.S. and globally, myself, attorney by trade, working capital markets, SEC regulations, the two of the larger law firms in the world, specializing in ICOs, public-private equity, debt financing, coal at PwC, and the M&A world. And we both saw opportunities to expand opportunities for people on a global basis. We're focused here in Colombia. We're focused here in farmland and agriculture. We're really opening new markets to people building value through the sustainability initiatives that we're putting together as the name says legacy trying to do something special in the impact space that builds great businesses but also generates the kind of financial returns that our investment base of high net worth and folks that participate along with us are looking for that sounds really exciting and attractive i mean looking around today's investment landscape and a lot of the themes that you touched on and how your firm is adding value I think it's really interesting that you mentioned that so much of the bond market is now at a negative yield. Um, so it's like every investor needs to turn over every rock and stone to to look for alpha, uh, leave no stone unturned. And you know, you mentioned that agricultural investments and farmland have appeal as a potential inflation hedge. And uh, Jimmy and I have noticed as we've talked to some other guests recently who are doing asset management in the agricultural and farmland space, they're really growing in popularity. They're gaining assets. Traditionally, of course, like, you know, you had the endowments that were investing in these illiquid investments, but now they're becoming more and more accessible, you know, kind of down the chain from endowments and institutional investors to ultra high net worth. And now kind of even just your everyday accredited investor can now invest like $10,000 in, in a private placement or a private fund or direct investment. So I'm curious, why do you think that the farmland agricultural space is becoming so popular right now? Like, is it mainly the inflation protection? Are there other sort of macro trends that you're hearing from investors that are making them so interested in that asset class? Right now, we're, we're as Cole mentioned, project sponsors for Green Coffee Company, their largest producer of coffee here in Colombia. We're in the middle of our Series B capital raise. Really, towards the end, we have about two and a half million left of, of 9.6 that we started with. The reason I mention that is we're having conversations with investors 
and potential investors every day, and they're basically answering the question you just had for us. And a, and a big one is inflation protection, looking for yields, and looking for opportunities. And we're seeing it play out in the, in the market. The coffee space that were, and coffee prices continue to hit record highs on a daily basis. There was an article in the Wall Street Journal today documenting from the International Monetary Fund, basically your average cup of coffee has gone up 30% since February. So our investors in many ways are taking a, if I can't beat them, join them approach. And if they're going to be paying more for their cup of coffee, then they want to be connected to the, the profits that the companies are, that are active in that space are, are developing. And, and to add on just a little bit from, from a macro perspective, you've seen the ultra high net worth individuals really dive into agriculture heavily, but both in the history of the world and more recently, like uh, Bill Gates coming in to be the largest individual landholder in the United States. You're seeing more opportunity to invest in things like farmland through syndications, such as, such as private placements, such as our own. Uh, in the past, if you wanted to invest in farmland, I mean, you need to be putting out what I would call a big boy check, right? You need to be putting out eight, nine figure checks to be able to buy sufficient farmland assets in the United States or in any developed market really to run them effectively, create a management company, and, and you're creating a job for yourself. Um, the reason why people would obviously do that, investors would do that, is for enhanced yield. So in the past few decades, Farmland in the United States has largely become institutionalized. A lot of the largest institutional players own a significant amount of U.S. farmland. But what has happened, it basically has mirrored the valuation rates that you see in the commercial real estate market. Farmland can trade at cap rates. And when the cap rate starts to mirror that of real estate, like you're seeing in the United States, say, if you invest in farmland assets, in the United States, you're not going to make significantly more than if you're going to buy a commercial center or something in, let's say, in developed type A, type B city. So the reason why guys want to invest in real or in rural agriculture or anything outside of the United, the United States is really for that enhanced yield that you're going to get. And that's why they, a lot of them are real estate investors who are looking for exit opportunities that have cap rate adjustments that are superior than what they see in the, in the residential or commercial real estate world. It's also a nice play for people who are looking for collateralized assets as well. There's obviously a ton of money flowing into technology and, and, and that space now, but you know, that's in many ways a, a guy with a computer and an idea versus investing in something with substantial land holdings and having a little bit more of a a downside, but also having the huge upside potential that we're seeing in these alternative investments. Absolutely. Um, I always like to say, you know, money has to go somewhere. In America, we're pumping so much liquidity into the economy and into the markets. You look across all these asset classes, and I think you're exactly right. It's like the valuations are just rich across the board, whether you're talking residential real estate, institutional and commercial real estate, of course, the equity markets, the bond market, you know, on a real basis, basically the entire bond market is negative before taxes, right? And a taxable account is negative before <laughs> taxes. 
so it, it makes sense that um, folks start looking at alts and they start looking at overseas opportunities. And that's really my next question is kind of zooming out a little bit. Jimmy and I just started this podcast. We launched the Alternative Investment Podcast just a couple of weeks ago. We're talking now on uh, the second week of October. And we actually have been amazed how quickly, right after we launched, we're, we're getting so much interest right out of the gate. And we're like, wow, we obviously believed in alts or we wouldn't be launching this podcast. But even we are surprised by such a positive response that we're getting. We're like, wow, people are really interested in alts right now. And I think some of it, like you already stated, is that inflation protection and the search for yield. I think some of the interest is also that there's this sort of shift down the chain where products are becoming more and more accessible. I'm not talking about crowdfunding, but just just like that, that your normal high net worth, not necessarily ultra high net worth investor can access some of these opportunities now. But you know, always curious, you two interact with investors and I'm always curious to hear what kind of stories or themes are really resonating with the investors that you talk to outside of just inflation protection? Are there other sort of unique angles attracting investors into the specific projects that you're working on? So I think private placement investing and alternative investing, you, you have a certain breed of investors to begin with. Usually they're less risk averse. They want higher returns but they're more comfortable at early stage investing, which I think is a hugely important thing in alternative investments is becoming comfortable with early stage investing. Now, the theme of venture capital has been around for a long time, but it's really become more institutionalized in the last couple of decades. So really are not a size return. I think you need to start looking at you know developing companies, just like you look at developing markets. So one of the key things that I see with high net worth individuals these days that say, look, the bond market is effectively dead to me. Equity market, public equity markets, they see is largely inflated and overvalued. They're seeing the lowest cap rates they've ever seen from commercial real estate. And I agree with the idea 100% that money has to move somewhere. They need to place capital. So, and they want, they want advanced yields. So they'll look at one early stage investment, right? Early stage companies, that they have the potential for exit opportunities that are important. Now, some of your viewership and, and readership probably is looking at emerging marketing, investing, developing market, investing, similar concepts. But one of the things to keep in mind that our investors ask about a lot is obviously the exit, but the viability of a large exit. Everyone who invests in private placements in early market or early stage companies or earlier stage developing companies want to see an exit at some, typically want to see an exit and they want to see it be reasonable and they'd like to see it be big if possible. One of the things that we do with Legacy Group is we structure companies out of, uh, out of the United States. And a lot of people ask, why do we do that? Um, it's, it's for one of the most important exit angles that exists in the world is, you know, to have the ability for a public market exit. You know, if we were doing holding companies in Panama or BVI, it is more challenging to go public on an international market. And, you know, the most liquid markets in the world are ultimately in the United States. And when we have 90, 95% of our investor bank are high net worth individuals coming out of the U.S., they want to see a U.S. public exit. 
So I would say two of the key themes that I see when I speak to our high net worth audiences, the applicableness of investing in early stage companies and the US, uh, the use of U.S. structures to have one avenue of an exit being a, a U.S.-based IPO. U.S. investors look for that all the time. I would say talking to our investors, and I imagine it's the same conversation for, for many of the investment sponsors, you know, to say globally right now. First and foremost, it's always a financial returns question. You know, it's always going to be kind of how much money can you make and what are you going to do with the kind of taking off of SG and investing. The investor interest is still always financial. So if you're going to ask people to participate in alternative investments, Asking me to work that time and we wish, which we do. I think it's attractive to a lot of people, the personal nature of it. You know, maybe you could say, oh, I could invest in a small cap stock on NYSE and it might, you know, double or triple over time, but is there a deeper lot of excitement in that versus you now something like us? People are coming down to Columbia to see the coffee farms, participating on a personal basis, getting the product in the mail and trying it with a little bit of a lifestyle. Most people, our investors, for example, are typically putting 100000 to 100000 in the entire deal. So that amount of money, they're going to have limited access, had a really opportunity that they can get excited about the all space in the, in the U.S. The other common thread that we've seen really over the last 18 months is just a genuine distrust in government, whether it's with respect to whether it's the COVID restrictions or the one we're touching on here, mostly it's you know, pretty money and the access of capital in the market. So people are saying, you know what, I got to look elsewhere and find my place to go. And it's off the U.S. mainland, but they still want, in many cases, people like ourselves that have that U.S. experience that can make it a viable business going forward and give access potential versus, you know, I got to go and scout these or invest with people in a foreign language. Now, so we try to fill that gap for people, and that, that seems to be the appeal. Oh, that's great, guys. That's the great insights that you have there. I'm curious to learn more about your current offering. What can you tell us about that current offering, the Green Coffee Company? We'd love to know uh, some numbers on it and, and anything else that uh, you were able to share with us today. Sure. I'll start us off. So it's a $9.6 million Series B. Wow, we've been in operation, like I said earlier, since 2017, it was the brainchild of, of Adam and myself. Uh, we launched uh, the initiation of the company in Q1 2018. Uh, we started with $5.7 million of capital commitment. We've since grown it from that since before we started the raise to about $8.3 million deployed here in Colombia. And really the purpose of this raise is to develop infrastructure to make us right now the third largest in, in Colombia. Primarily, the capital spend is related to uh, infrastructure. Uh, at the end of this month, actually, we're going to be launching the most advanced coffee infrastructure that exists in Colombia. One of our facilities opened October 28th. The second is going to open in mid-December. Uh, and that really will springboard us to making us the most innovative coffee company in Colombia. Next year, we'll engage in a, in a debt raise and we'll acquire one more round of farms, uh, and that'll create us a position of number one in the country as far as coffee production is concerned. We launched this raise to outside investors in about May of this year. We've been raising for a couple months now. 
I'm only have $2.5 million left. So we'd expect to be completed with this race probably within the next 30 to, to 60 days. In terms of some numbers and things where investors would look for, so we're expecting revenue of about five and a half million this year. So we'll have a uh, profit and expect to pay about 8% annually over the whole period through 2025. We told investors. Our goal, though, really is as we go about go from number three to number one in Colombia, add on a, a B2C component in the U.S. by car buying coffee roasters there, really to get to the public markets in the U.S. And, and our goal is seven X for every dollar that anybody puts in the product in, in 2025. We'll see what markets look like and how things sell, but that's what we're trying to build for people and ties on to what we talked about and kind of the theme of the conversation of access to opportunities folks couldn't get good access potential and any nice hazardous inflation in, in an industry most people know and, and enjoy. Oh, that sounds phenomenal. That's a fairly significant exit potential there. Fairly unique type of offering too. Very compelling. And at Legacy Group, I'm perusing your website right now. Obviously, your goal is to generate favorable returns you touched upon this a minute ago, though, that you also target opportunities with high social and environmental impact. Uh, what's the importance of that? Are, are investors clamoring for, for those types of, of impact investments these days? Or why is it important to you? I'll, I'll start us off on this one. This is important for Adam and myself. I think it's important for the future of both the alternative investment industry and in just investing as a whole. You're going to see impact investing in ESG impact the investing world, I think, being the most significant change in investor mentality probably we've seen in the last couple of decades. As far as our investors are concerned, I will say over half of our investors are very heavily concerned, especially about items such as climate change, um, but specifically interested in impact. About the coffee industry in general, I'm under the understanding and belief that if you're not involved with impact and sustainability initiatives, you're not going to be around here in a decade to run that business. Um, and largely, in, in industries in agriculture where it's largely consumer-driven, so that's assumed the, the person who's ordering the hiring the Medicano in their barista in, let's say, San Francisco, they want to know the company that is selling them coffee is doing the right thing. And they're driving that behavior towards ESG and towards impact. So I think from our point of view, not only do we only want to be involved with companies that are doing the right things and are generally in line with our own ethical guidelines, I think businesses like that exist in the coffee industry, things like the cacao industry, anything in agriculture, if you're not supporting the community around you, if you're not doing things in an environment, environmental standard in a beneficial way, you're not going to be around to tell your story. And guys that do it the right way are going to eat your lunch. So both from an aspect that we want to be around companies that are doing the right thing, we only want to be around executives and counterparties that are doing business that we see as being viable for the future. Selfishly in the business, I think you have to do it either way. There's the nature of stating discussion going on in the investing world with you guys. I'm sure are aware, but basically, can you have our profit and purpose to do with one another? 
express. It has to be for the reasons Cole mentioned, the transparency, doing the right things from the business and, and building something where in a world that's continuously more transparent, you're doing the right thing. It's the value add to the business. You know, you see stories of whether it's BlackRock setting up funds that are impact fees that have no impact at all, or you're seeing what well, the term now is, is greed washing, where companies basically say we're so greedy, we do all this, but, but they have either either no impact or negative impact at all. We've always said that legacy with strictly green coffee company, anything that we do that we want to have that social environmental impact and we want it to be measurable and it has to be value added, not peeling off the piece of the revenue stream to you know, give away or anything like that. Everything has to be a credit to the business and the shareholders, but also to the community around us. Now, a good example is this year for all the coffee farms that we have, we got Rageforce Alliance certification at the farms. People say, oh, I think possible to measure ESG impact and how do you quantify it as a good business. For us, for example, the Rageforce Alliance we pay for it with a small portion of our harvest, and then all the coffee coming off the farms going, going forward will we'll have a 6 to 8% premium. Right there is a good example of doing things the right way, run the things in the right way, but also add more value in the process that's, that's, that's measurable. Yeah, that all makes sense. Doing things the right way is certainly important becoming more important these days, social and environmental impact investing, definitely a trend that has a lot of momentum behind it. I think that's a good place to wrap up our conversation today. Gentlemen, thanks for joining us today and uh, really do appreciate all the insights that you've brought on the episode today. Before we go, though, where can our listeners go to learn more about you and Legacy Group? Sure, I'll take that one, Cole. So if you guys want to contact us, any questions about what we talked about today, if you're interested in the investment opportunity office project that we told you about, best place to email is investor.relations at legacy-group.co and you can find us there. We'll get set up with uh, your questions or opportunities. Fantastic. That's investor.relations at legacy-group.co. I'll make sure to link to that email address in the show notes for today's website on the AltsDB website. Uh, you can find those show notes, as always, at altdb.com slash podcast, and you'll find links to all of the other resources that we discussed with our guests today as well. Cole Shepard and Adam Jason, thanks for joining us today. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, gentlemen. it for our show today a huge thank you to you our listener if you like this episode please rate and review us on apple podcasts the alternative investment podcast is produced by the alternative investment database online at altsdb.com you can learn how to subscribe to this podcast and access the show notes by visiting altsdb.com slash podcast and we'll be back soon with another episode 